My name is Alexa, and I'll be your moderator for today. Today's topic is we are the Scrum team. We take total ownership for deliverables. So we'd like to give a warm welcome to our host today, Dr. Dave Cornelius. Dr. Dave is a value delivery leader at BioRad Laboratories. He influences cross-functional teams to deliver amazing quality products to delight customers. Dr. Dave is the founder of the Five Saturdays program that empowers high school students through agility and innovation by providing learning experiences in technology and lean business. He's the author of the book, Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way, and innovator of the game, Agility Leadership. Dr. Dave produces a podcast on iTunes and Google Play titled Null Share with Dr. Dave and can be found hosted on grokshare.com. So with that, let's learn something new and exciting that you can use at work immediately. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is having an awesome day today. Um, let me see if I have control here. Oh, gosh. Yes, show my screen, yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry about that. Hey, Alexa, are you letting me, am I driving or are you driving from the, the presentation uh, perspective? If it's me, I'm fine. I just brought up the presentation. Yeah, I, I passed you over there. presenter rights, so. Okay, thank you. I will go from here. Great. Okay, so here we go. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to let you know that I have a, a special guest with me today. Today, our guest is the Getter Done team. And the, the team is made up of Tess Guevara, Michael Chern, and Dan Vo. Um, but today, we only have Tess. So Tess, say hello to our audience. Hi. Hello, everyone. Yeah. I mean, Tess, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing really good. Thank you. Awesome. Yes, thank you so much. So let's, let's jump in with the overview. So the Scrum team is the builders of things, and they build software. You know, I think they're like one of the most important roles in the Scrum ecosystem. Um, and the system is built up of, you know, what we call the Scrum team, the product owner and Scrum master. And they're all peers. Um, some people may think that the product owner is more important or the Scrum master is more important. But I say the people who build things are more important. And each role provide a value that should be respected by everyone in the organization. The cool thing about Agile with teams is that teams have the autonomy to determine how and when to complete work. You know, sometimes this can be really confusing for some people with this great fuse, this great form of uh, freedom. But as we go, walk through today, we'll look at different tools of how we help the teams to self-organize and for them to develop, de uh, deliver the right value at the right time. And as we go through today, um, I'll be asking questions of Tess, and she'll be giving you feedback. Um, based on her experience being part of a Scrum team. So our topics today, um, we're, we're going to talk highly about the Agile values and principles, uh, the Scrum team role. Uh, we'll do a little bit about peer programming and mobbing. Um, and also self-organization, how teams really come together to get work done without someone managing them. Our learning objective is that we want to make sure we understand the Scrum team role and value. Uh, we learn about uh, the, some of the scrum ceremonies, and we discover how team interact. So there's four agile values, and I think this is the third webinar that I've gone over these. And the first one is individuals and interaction over processes and tools, and working products over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, responding to change over following a plan. And so this was established back in 2001 in Utah, where 17, we call them the 17, who came together to kind of like lay out these values for us. And their, their thoughts are, it's like, look, while the things that we're talking about on the right, you know, there's value there. But the things that we want to focus on is more on the left about individuals and interactions, about working products, about customer collaboration, and about responding to change. And those are the four key things that we should take away from it. It's not like, yeah, we don't do documentation, and yeah, we don't have some level of negotiation. Um, 
and we don't have processes and tools, but you know, what's more important is the human factor, people, in making things work. Um, there are 12 agile principles, and you know, the key things that most, you know, all of these applies to the software team and the work that they do. But you know, number three, um, it's a very important aspect, right? It's really frequent delivery of working software because that's what they're doing. Um, number four is also critically important in terms of collaboration between the business stakeholders and developers throughout the project. Seven, you know, they look at working software as a primary measure of progress. Um, and also, I, I like eight a lot because it's really about being able to work in a consistent way without being overworked, having to work overtime, where you can just work on a consistent cadence and get things done. Number 10, 10 is really important about simplifying work. And I, as we talked before, that self-organizing teams, you know, you give them the freedom to de define architecture, some of the, the technical requirements and design. And at the end of it, number 12, that they take the time out to do a retrospective and see exactly how they're progressing, areas that they want to learn, and you have built in continual um, improvement. So the last time we talk about the Scrum framework and you know, I, I use Deming's plan, do, check, act, but we rephrase it at plan, do, inspect, act. And this really speaks to the work that is committed by the team and everyone has a voice and contributes to the outcome. So it all begins with, with the product owner planning and prioritizing the backlog to make sure that the teams have something to work on. Um, they have an opportunity to discuss and commit um, the work that needs to be done. It's executed and it's delivered and they inspect and adapt. They go back and they review the work and see what, what was completed. And they have an opportunity to say, oh, these things didn't work very well. What are we gonna change the next time? And so it's four key elements that you look at in the, the Scrum framework. You plan and prioritize, you discuss and commit, you execute and deliver, and you inspect and adapt. Now, look at, we'll talk about the Scrum team role. And the Scrum team provides, you know, some of the following values, right? I mean, they built the sprint backlog. They estimate the relative effort to complete user stories. Um, they elevate, they evaluate and commit to prioritize user stories, deliver quality work, and they take ownership of the software and product deliverables. And, and so this is primarily one of the key roles of the Scrum team itself and what it does. Um, look at some of the characteristics. Um, and I'll go back to Scrum team role because I have a question for, for Tess here. And Tess, you know, I wanna ask you, you know, how is your role as a Scrum team different from the, the traditional waterfall experience? I mean, and if we could try to come up with a response in about one to two minutes, that would be awesome, and no more than that. So if you could tell us, um, how is your role different now than when you worked as in a waterfall space? Okay, uh, way back in the waterfall days, my role is a QA automation developer. I was in charge of building and maintaining automation process for various projects. I was not, I was not involved in the requirements gathering and development process of the software. I was not even involved in estimation of work. We got, um, we get the new development build and test in the QA environment. When we find bugs, we email the, def the defect to the development team. They, uh, they look at it and apply modifications and then they get it back. And then we test and then give my blessings after all the, testings, the testing passes. The QA department signs off the work and uh, let the product owner decide <clears throat> when to deploy the, the changes. In the new Scrum pro process, we have one role in the in the team. We are all developers. Each team member is in the, is involved in the work, whatever work is involved. For example, the work to be done from grooming the stories, planning, test first activities, mob coding, testing, preparing build materials, requesting builds, etc. As a team, we define our working agreement, definition of ready, and definition of done, and this helps in maintaining the focus of the work. So basically that's the big difference is that we're no longer different from one another and I'm involved in the whole entire process. Which is awesome, which means you guys become, you know, a team truly and work as one and there's no more tossing over the, the they call it proverbial wall of when code is done. Exactly. 
Okay. So let's talk about the team characteristics. And so for me, I I've been talking about micro teams for the last two years, the three to five people that keep them really small. Um, they're self-organizing, they're independent, um, they're committed to outcomes, they're focused on maximizing value and quality. And so these are the key characteristics of the Agile team. And so Tess, also, you know, what is your experience like working in a micro team of three? Actually, it's the best experience so far. It is small enough to hear what everyone has to say and you're, you get focused on each and every one with just three people involved. It allows uh, closer inter interaction and, clo and discussions. It also offers the flexibility within the team without um, losing the focus on what we're trying to accomplish. And so what is it like to also interact with other micro teams? Because I know you have experience where you're doing work to support other teams. What is that like? It's a whole lot easier when there's only three people involved because again, the focus is there and when you interact, everybody understood the same thing and we're not, there's no different interpretation of work to be done. What comes into place is really different ideas helping each other. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's, so as you can see with micro teams, I mean, the dynamics also is focused on, you know, being a cohesive unit and better interactions. So let's move on to the Scrum ecosystem. And so, we have product owners who prioritize the backlog. Um, we have the Scrum Master who helps coach with the Scrum framework. Um, we have these activities, what we call the Scrum of Scrums, where one micro team has a dependency on the other. Um, we have customers who have incidents that they require support. Um, we have stakeholders that where we work is uh, demoed for them. And then we have DevOps, which is really the teams who help us move software into our production environment and set that up. And so DevOps in itself as a practice really enabled us to move things faster to our production environment, basically on demand. And you know, this is something that's a work in progress throughout many companies um, in the world where you know, once we're doing this whole agile activity, we get software built fast, but then we get into this waterfall mode where we have to wait and get a cab, you know, change activity board approval, um, which is called a cab. And then you have to, it could take you up to two weeks to a month to move software that's built in two weeks. So, uh, you know, this is really critical to have agility end to end. Um, there's a certification that's offered in the Agile space uh, for developers, and it's called the Scrum, Scrum Alliance um, Certified Agile Developer, CSD. I just wanted to put that out there so people are aware that there's a certification for your team members if that's something that they have a desire for. So let's have a simple group interaction. And the question, question is, the Scrum team ecosystem consists of stakeholders, customers, product owner, scrum master, other teams, and IT ops. Is this true or false? And so Tess, while um, we, we wait for our participant to answer this question, mm -hmm. um, so what, what is, the, and I'll ask you this question again in a different way. So just imagine you have to do work for another team, you know, I mean, what kind of um, interaction do you have? Is it more of a scrum of scrums? Um, do you guys have spe special meetings to share ideas or, or requirements? What, what, what do you guys do? Well, typically in the quarter, we have what we call the quarterly planning, where we plan our activities of work to be done within the quarter. So at that time, we, in, in the discussions, and um, actually that's also part of grooming and planning happening at the same time, you, you started realizing that, oh, doing this work has dependency on other team. And we have what we call a dependency board there where we put our, our little tag to show we have dependency on this thing by the sprint, this part of the quarter. And so um, you get a chance to discuss with other teams on you know when this, this, this um, work can be done in alliance to uh, the, the needs, their needs or our needs put together. And if there's like uh, more discussions happening during the sprint, we discuss that in the Scrum of Scrums, which happens for us every Friday. Which is awesome. So good. 
Ah, uh, I think our our our, um, our, partic uh, our participants are paying attention to us, um, test that. The answer is yes, true. Ninety-three percent. Those are the, the the people involved in the Scrum team ecosystem that they support and partner with. So let's keep moving, and we're going to talk about the Scrum ceremonies. When I call plan, build, learn, um, those are the three things that happens. Um, we spend time planning the work. Um, we execute and build software, and then we learn what we did and see how we could improve. Um, so one of the first things that's really important, and, and Tess spoke about this, is the definition of ready. And so it's a team's criteria of how do we begin to, to do work, right? I mean, do we have stories ready, right? Is the feature well-defined? Is the user story well-defined? Um, do we have a sprint um, backlog that we could work from to, to move forward? Um, are we release ready? I mean, do we have our IT ops involved? Um, so one of the other key things that we use as a language in this is that, um, you know, we need to have a, an acceptance criteria, right? And it, it helps us to identify the beha behaviors required to meet a, a delivery with a certain amount of, of, of quality. And I'm just gonna put this out there and you can look this up later. It's called Behavior Driven Development, we'll call BDD. It's one language that can be used and it's really simple. It says given, when, then. Given, here are the givens. Here's, you know, when this certain action takes place, then do this certain behavior. So perhaps go and take some time and look that up because we could spend a lot of time digging into BDD. But I just wanted to make sure that everyone is aware that there is a language that defines the behavior of a certain software product from a customer context. We also have definition of done. And this is also something that the team defines as well um, to let everyone know and let themselves know when things are done. Um, so we said, well, what, when, what does it mean for a feature to be done? Um, what does it mean for a story to be done? Um, also for a sprint or release to be done. So Tass, just really quickly, um, mm -hmm. you know, give us some uh, just simple examples of, of what it's like to have um, a DOR or a DOD and what's in it. Oh, this is the funniest thing because um, a lot of people, even I myself, wasn't aware of how important it is to have a DOR and DOD until we stumbling, start stumbling into a lot of, you know, how do we do this? What is this? Then we realized, oh, we didn't discuss how we're supposed to uh, really function as a team and the expectations of work and all that stuff. So we came, we start, my team decided to um, start writing a good um, definition of ready, definition of done material. Actually, it's a little longer than what most people would expect, but ours is very <laughs> much, yes, it, 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 somebody said, oh my God, this is three pages, but mine start, ours starts really from the start of sprint. And at the start of sprint, we give we, we state something like um, all PBIs and bug items within the new sprint has been well groomed. The functional and non-functional requirements are also um, discussed the same way. Well groomed, the PBA PBI should be um, either an enhancements or new features, so we're clear on what we're doing. And then we also expect business value is clearly articulated so that we know when we design and uh, and start being um, an architect or the software designer that we meet whatever is needed. It's like I said, we put a lot of detail there. And again, from the beginning of Sprint, we we said that you know acceptance criteria has to be there, include the positive and negative acceptance conditions, and um, we also discuss when do we get when we call it bugs and the creation we, we and then um, we also went into other things such as I told you ours is long on the build process what needs to be done and what we expect to do like the build should be identified for production ready or evaluation only and test results from evaluation only build should have been identified and and corresponding work items should be created in the backlog. And then we also have release. We define the, the, you know, what ha what's happening in the release, like development team should know ahead of time what will, um, 
What will work items be included in the upcoming release and development team should understand the impact of work items in the release. And then we also have um, definition in our definition of uh, done, we have end of sprint where we say all the documentations and all the things should be uh, checked in the TFS or source control, user story should be signed off and everything, and including the automation piece of the, the unit testing and automation work of uh, regression testing and functional testings. Those are the things that we include in there. So it really is long because it's segmentized. Well, you know, it's an important declaration of what done means and what ready means, and there's no ambiguity. So, I mean, that's excellent test. Let's keep moving. I mean, I think that was, that's a great explanation of the things that's in a definition of ready, DOR, for definition of done, DOD. Now, let's talk about some of the, the activities. So, we have release planning where, where we start talking about a vision of what is to be achieved and when. Um, it helps to guide the team during sprint planning and they're beginning to lay out work. It helps to prioritize the user story itself and it guides the team to make some of the great decisions on what are the trade-offs that we're going to look at. So if we look at you know a typical planning session where we have some major features and you know we have sprint one, sprint two, sprint three, sprint four, and you know two of the major features, let's let's say that we're building um, a, a simple shopping cart, right? And so someone has to log in. Um, it's role-based, um, and maybe you may want it to be single sign-on. And so we may lay those things out in advance and say, well, but when we go re release planning, this is when we what we think, right, that we can get done within this time frame. And we look at the same thing for order entry. We said, okay, well, maybe we could get some stuff for, for the customer order entry completed by sprint two, um, maybe we could allow them to add products by sprint three and shipping by sprint four. Now, sprints are generally two weeks long. So within two months, um, essentially, you know, we kind of, we kind of have a, a, a shopping cart and an order entry system that's put together with security, uh, you know, and, and there, we haven't added anything else for accepting credit cards or anything like that, but this is enough for you know, our customers to begin to start kicking the tires and say, yeah, this is good, this isn't good, right? Once we get to um, now sprint review. Now, sprint planning takes all of that into to consideration and we start looking at what is the highest features that the, um, the product owner has defined. Um, the team is a great opportunity to understand more context and clarity um, around the, the user stories. And so we can start setting out sprint goals. What do we want to, to achieve for that um, sprint? And then the teams go forward and, and create a sprint backlog, which is normally two weeks worth of work. So when you think of a sprint goal, um, we could just set something up like, yeah, implement basic shopping cart functionality. That's what we want to get done um, for the sprint. You know, we just made a declaration, and with that, we'll be able to fill in the, the actual work, like the user stories that needs to be done. And I know Tess used a term called PBI, which is a product backlog item. So here's a typical example of, you know, if you're doing sprint planning, you know, what this would look like. So I have sprint one, and we say we have a capacity for the team of about 30 story points. So let's think of a, a story point as being one man day. So 30 days is, is what we have of, um, of work capacity. And so load is like how much work we're going to actually do. We know we have 30, we're gonna stretch ourselves and do five more. Um, we have a specification of when it starts and a specification of when it ends. But also we have, you know, Bob, who's going to be out of the office um, for 9.15 and 9.22. So one of the things that we're planning is also to take into account when we have a reduced capacity. So we may relook at this and say, well, you know what? Bob isn't going to be here for two days, so our capacity really isn't 30. Maybe our capacity is 25, right, because Bob maybe he's a contributor of about five story points, then that would cause us to also look at our load and say, let's readjust that too, so we could be more realistic. Um, you know, as part of sprint planning, you know, we have user stories that, that's, that are defined. We provide some level of estimates in terms of how many story points it would take 
and in this case we do talking about mandates so it takes about two mandates to do um, the purchase shopping cart theme which is a design work and and so uh, you know if we're purchasing one or, or you know so we may have some risk there we so said we don't know how this um, shopping you know we do not know the shopping cart product because it's something new to us so as you can see there is a lot of conversation by the teams in terms of what they know or they don't know amongst each other. Um, there's another activity which we call the daily scrum or stand-up. Um, this is a 15-minute check-in by the team. The team comes and said, hey, these are the things that, you know, what I did yesterday, what I plan to do today, you know, what is blocking my success, which is what we call impediment. So in 15 minutes, everyone has um, an opportunity to speak to share their experience and the scrum master also has the opportunity to resolve some of these impediments um, that's blocking the team from success that's their job um, so sometimes you know the impediment could be like hey we, we we do not have a database set up yet for us to, to move forward so can you go work with the dba team you know and this is something that the scrum master would do um sprint execution um, this is where we actually produce the committed work, right? So the team, they code and test. The product owner, they review, finish, use the stories. And then the scrum master remove impediments. So you can see the ecosystem again as we're executing. You know, the teams are building, coding and testing their software. And they put it in a state of said, okay, our software is tested. Then the product owner would look at that in the system and said, okay, yeah, this is tested. Let me make sure that this really meets the, the acceptance criteria for the customer, and they can move that forward. So sprint review, another critical and important um, event, which is what comes to the end of a sprint. This is where we get a chance to review all of the work we have done at the end of, of two weeks. Two weeks. So um, the people who participate, you would have the team, obviously there, you will have stakeholders. We'll have the scrum master and the product owner. Everyone gets a chance to review the work that has been been done. So everyone gets to come and see what's going on. Um, great demo of, of work that's been finished. You know, we talked about impediments that that's really blocking. Um, look at the sprint goals of what was said. Did we complete those? Yay. You know, everyone gets high fives and that's a great thing. Or if there's they're not done, then we start to investigate. Well, how can we shift this so we can make sure we can uh, meet our objectives next time? Because sometimes new teams tend to um, be a bit zealous and think that they could do more than they can. And sometimes experienced teams do less than they're capable of because they just get into a comfortable group. So these are some of the challenges that teams have to put forth for themselves to get better. Um, customer, the most important thing is, and one of the principles is receiving customer feedback. Um, and, you know, customers said, yeah, I like the screen, we like the colors, we like the navigation, we like the way things are working. This is really great. Oh, you know what? This is really kind of clunky for us. Um, and so it, it gives a great opportunity for the teams to um, hear what the customer wants firsthand. And those customers could be internal. It could be the product owner representing an external customer as well. Retrospectives, I think, is really important for us to look back and understand, you know, what was our progress during the sprint? You know, was this effective? Um, and the, the, the scrum master and the scrum team gets together to do this. And, you know, the team themselves could go forward and do it without the scrum master, but then someone in the team has to step in and facilitate the actual retrospective. It needs a facilitator. So we always want to know what went well, what did not go well, and what can we change? These, are, again, are just three simple questions that people could sit down. And we also have great games that we play um, that, that helps to ask these questions a little bit differently. Um, like one thing that one of my favorites is what I call, they call speedboat. It comes from innovation games. So we may set up a, a speedboat and uh, let's let me change that to a sailboat. The one that I really like is, is that a sailboat and you could draw a big picture in a piece of paper just says, here's a big sailboat, some water, some sun, a sail. And one question, what went well is wind in my sail. You know, how is that wind helping my boat to move forward? 
The other thing is, is that you have an anchor in a boat. So what's weighing me down? That's something that did not go well. And we said, well, what can we change based on what we see? You know, keep all the good things and let's pick at least one thing to improve each sprint. Now, if you think about it, you know, that gives us in a, in a year an opportunity to improve somewhere between 24 to 20. We have 24 to 26 improvements throughout a year, which is huge. You know, um, in most organizations, it's hard to even get one improvement through in a year. So let's talk about group interactions. And while we're interacting, I'm going to have um, a, a dialogue with Tess while you guys are thinking about the, the this question. So the scrum ceremonies include A, release planning, B, sprint planning, C, daily stand-up and scrum, D, sprint review, E, retrospective, or F, all of the above. And so Tess, while the team, while our listeners are out there working on this, tell me, um, what is your favorite ceremony um, in the scrum practice? Ah, oh, the favorite, it's really the retrospective ceremony. This is uh, when we get a chance to look back over the 10 days of sprint and identify what works, what didn't work, and how can we, what, uh, how can we improve it, or how can we make it work better? We also talk about what we can work on and focus on to keep the team dynamics flowing. So it's not just about work, it's also the interaction within the team that we discuss this thing. It's kind of fun because it's presented in different, there are many different ways you can do it, like the example that you see with the boat. You say with the boat, there's many other things, but it's always fresh for us. That's awesome. Let's see what, what our listeners have to say today. Ah, great. I think we all agree that 84% believe that it's all of the above. Yes, all of these things are part of our ceremonies. Um, let's, we're going to keep moving. Um, so we have some in engineering practices. Um, we look at those things as intentional acts, collaboration, and leadership, things that, that help us to get better. Um, so continual learning is really important for us, right? And that's why we do retro retrospectives. And we want to encourage people to grow and learn and, and, and have new skills. Um, it's really important for us to create an environment to experience and allow teams to get better at, at agility. And when we think of agility, you know, the word agile means, means to be nimble. Right, and so when we think of agility, we think in, in the context of inspect and adapt and to have continual learning. Um, we have to focus on what's working for the team so that they can continue to get better at those things and, and really amplify the goodness. Um, we have to build a community where it's important for us to work together and learn new things to present new knowledge to each, each other. Another key element that we talk about um, in this activity of agility is peer program. Um, so you think of a, a pilot, you have a pilot and a co-pilot who are working together, safety, learning. Uh, peer programming is kind of the same, where you have two people really sharing one computer and building software together. I mean, this is for quality, this is for learning, um, it, it's really, a great experience for some people. For others who <laughs> are not really interested in in, um, in having other people invade their space, it could be that way because you have one computer, right? You have a navigator and a driver, and the driver pretty much listens to what the navigator says. You know, he's just hands-on keyboard as what people would call a human-machine interface of really, you know, trying to get that done. Um, the navigator said, "Well, you know, write this code in this way." And we want the driver to just listen and, and go forward with that. And that's really hard for some people. Um, we, we switch every 15 minutes. Some people go a little tighter every seven minutes. But in either way, you know, you have people who are going back and forth between the driver and navigator. So no one is, is always in one position. There's an opportunity for people to learn from each other. Um, a new concept, and that's that new, but mobbing which is what I call, it's just, um, it uses a single computer keyboard and a large monitor as an, a human machine interface. Um, all team members work together. So I, I call mobbing um, team peering, which is <laughs> kind of interesting because it's nothing more than just that. It's team peering, where you have many members of the team working together to solve a single problem. 
Um, you have many navigators and one driver at the same time. So that's the difference in that you have several people who may observe something and everyone speaks one at a time, not everyone speak together. So um, there has to be some level of control where each people have a certain level of restraint that they're not all trying to talk together at the same time because the driver will become really confused. Um, also, people are switching every 15 minutes. Some people do every seven minutes um, or even 10 minutes, but it, it keeps it fresh when you have people in their coding, thinking and looking at solving the problems together as a team. Um, also, we also have the product owner who is always there. And, and before we talked about the product owner and they're the one who prioritized the backlog and really represents um, the voice of the customer. Uh, there's another great engineering practice called acceptance test-driven development, um, where it really talks about the software behavior from, uh, you know, what it looks like from an outside behavior, outside uh, uh, an observer, right? And, and so it's not written in code; it's written in in English um, language, you know, something like behavior-driven development. So, you know, you could do things like, you know, given my bank account has money, you know, when I put my ATM card into um, get $10, then the ATM gives me $10. So really simple, you know, where it says given when then. Now, that's a, an observable behavior that we could look at and we could get to a positive solution with that. And it's easier for the team and for the product owner to, com to communicate on that level. Now, this helps to reduce the amount of defects that we have and really helps to improve the team's understanding of what the customer wants. Um, we get much better software designs, you know, when we leverage this, this language. So here's a simple um, user acceptance test that I've um, put together. So given my bank account has funds and I made no withdrawals recently, when I attempt to withdraw an amount less than my balance, then the withdrawal should complete without error. So really simple language, given, here are the givens, you know, when there are these conditions, then do these actions. Really simple user acceptance test language, and this helps to uh, build with ATD, ATDD, acceptance test-driven development, or people call it behavior-driven behavior, um, development. Now, the other part of that's really critical for um, the integration of our systems with moving stuff to production is what we call DevOps, which is continuous integration and continuous deployment. Um, we have to look at this in, in a way of how do we optimize the entire process, where it's not, you know, we build some software or we throw it over the, the fence to some guy in IT to go deploy for us. You know, we have to get to the point where they're involved from the start of the, the project and the initiative, and we're all working together to get to the same goal. Um, it helps to reduce the amount of friction um, with, and, and increases more cooperation between IT and the software development team because that could be a contentious situation. Um, now, with that, you know, we can have this amazing faster time to, um, to production when we have this type of, of, of relationship where it's easier. So continuous integration is just simply the fact that I build some code, I could check it in, and test it using automation. Lots of automation in this process to make sure we can get things done faster. Um, so this gives a great feedback to the developer, and so they have an opportunity to make a fix, you know, right there in the spot. And then we have the same thing with continuous de de develop deployment, you know. And so I could build a piece of software and deploy it multiple times to different environments. So it's really interesting. Um, you know, you look at a company like Amazon. And their continuous deployment cycle is like something every 11.6 seconds, they're deploying something to production. Well, the only way you could get there, they think about that every 11.67 seconds, um, there's software being pushed to production to provide customer value. You know, that's an amazing thing to get, get to. Um, most companies do not have that, but that means there's no friction between the software developers and the IT team. It's all automation. Things are automatically tested, and um, you have the, the approvals for certain actions, and that's um, done way up, way up, um, up front where people have these agreements. Um, we get through continual learning, which is really important, right? And where we encourage teams to, to 
to learn daily. Um, we have experiments. People could experiment in different things. And we're not against that. We're for that because we know as people experiment, they learn new things. Uh, we believe in learning fast. Um, failure is a great teacher. Um, and, and so we encourage people to try new things. And if you fail, okay, what did we learn? How do we improve on that? And we constantly ask those questions. Um, they have an incremental delivery. And, and this helps to build confidence. It's nothing like every two weeks you're seeing software go in and it's working and you're getting customer feedback versus waiting nine months to find out that, geez, this is terrible, right? Um, this is a failure. I mean, there's nothing more demoralizing than that. Um, we want to build up emergent leadership. And I've spoken about emergent leadership several times. Um, and this is where we take an opportunity to lead without asking permission. Um, when there's a moment, go after it, take it. You know, you have your, you have that permission to do that um, in an agile team. Uh, you know, and the thing is, every time you go forward and take a chance, a risk, um, and it's it's a limited risk because we're, we're experimenting. Um, it helps to increase increase your ability, gets better over time. And look, it's not limited to any one person. Anyone could do this on the team. Any matter of fact, anyone could do this in an organization. It's just, you have to deal with the bounded autonomy. What are the areas that I could go to and I have influence and people are not gonna whack me over the head. So we're gonna get into um, our group interaction number three and give us enough time for questions. Um, let's talk about, uh, so DevOps reduces friction and encourages more cooperation between developers and IT. Is this A, true or B, false? And so while people are thinking about this, um, Tess, uh -huh. um, so talk to me about some of the activities that you do to improve as a team. To improve as if a team? Continue, oh, my gosh. If continual learning, yeah, what are the things that yeah. you do? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> to improve, uh, first and foremost, we try not only to improve our relationship with each other, but we look for topics to learn. Uh, we look for webinars that you know can help us um, we practice the peer programming, the sharing of thoughts and the stuff. We do mobbing. Um, we try to go to um, conferences and um, Pluralsight is a very, very effective tool for us to learn. So sometimes we have uh, things that we wanted to learn. How do you implement some such thing? It's always in Pluralsight. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So let's see what, where people are um, in, in terms of um, answering our questions. Hold on, Dave. I'm just going to close the mic. Okay. Not, not a problem. Not a problem. Um, you know, how about learning Friday's test? Oh, here we come back. Oh, 97% said that is true. That's correct. A is the right answer. Great job, um, team. And, and so, you know, this is really powerful stuff um, using DevOps. Uh, so, let's see. Let's get back to, so to summarize before we go to Q&A, you know, the scrummer teams are the builders of things, which I, you know, I didn't want to use, I like to use bot, but bot is already used to mean robots, um, and they're not that. Um, the, the great thing is, is that when we have sprint reviews and we have frequent customer feedback, it really gives us clarity and onto what needs to be done. Um, it's very interactive and it's very iterative, which really, means that we could solve things a lot faster and by learning fast, right? And, and doing limited experiments. Um, you know, look, there's tangible value that's received often by the customers and they have an opportunity to, you know, really experience what, what was done by the team, you know, in an early point. But let me, before we go to, to questions, I, I have one last question for you, um, Tess. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me, what is the biggest challenge that you faced as an Agile team? Oh, okay. <clears throat> Since the company is not uh, fully agile yet, and we, we are still in the what you call the transformation stage, we stumbled to the common problem that everyone transitioning to agile experiences. While uh, development and Scrum Master are operating within the agile practices, we had problem with our product owners who are still not very agile. It is difficult to get into the full scope of the you know the requirement. And so we also ex experience, you know, problems with the team, you know, like, um, 
in the beginning, the, the typical problem about the development of forming, storming, norming, performing, adjoining, we went through that. And really, um, as long as your goal is really to make it work, you eventually come to the norming and performing stage. That's really great. You know, that is something that all teams go through, the forming, storming, um, you know, norming and performing. So, Alexa, it's 846. Let's open it up to uh, the wonderful friends out there. Great. What so questions do you have? We already have a, a couple questions here. Okay. So, uh, one is in Scrum Development Environment, is the product manager called as product owner and project manager as Scrum Master? Um, so I'll, I'll take that. Um, so the product manager and product owners in, in most companies, if they're bigger, and we talked about that maybe two webinars ago, um, they're generally two discrete roles. So the product manager generally is more customer facing, external facing, and oftentimes product owners are more internal facing. Um, so. It, it's that's the, the difference between both roles um, and the product owner generally works with the product manager that's in larger companies in smaller companies sometimes the product manager and product owner are the same roles um, last month we talked about the scrum master role and and I've done another you know webinar about the role of um, project managers in the lean and agile world it, it is that the project managers can be scrum, scrum masters, but also project managers can become product owners. If they have great product knowledge, then they can easily become a product owner as well. Great. And so um, another question here is, what if the customer wants a change? Say the customer didn't like the login page or the type of login. Uh, does the fix or change happen in Sprint 2? Um, Tess, let me. I'm gonna pass it on to Tess so she could get to get in on some of these questions. Okay. Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Sure. Um, so, what if the customer wants to change? Uh, say the customer didn't like the login page or the type of login. Does the fix or change happen in Sprint too? Well, Agile is Agile. It should be ready for any kind of change. If that, at that point that you probably do a demo, I, I think that the time that they will see. I don't know if you're, the question is um, the current existing login or the time you do the de the demo that they didn't like it. At least at the, by the time that you did the de demo and they didn't like it, you have another two weeks to work on it. So you didn't lose that much time. And you could, it's, the, the process of Agile is really doing and um, hearing the customer's voice. So implementing whatever they want. And, and that's true. So, I mean, one thing that could happen if you didn't sprint one, you did a demo of a login page and they didn't like it, or there was an existing login page that they said, hey, we, we would like this change. Yes, you, you can, this product owner can prioritize that change for sprint two, if they choose, if you were, if that's what's the next current sprint, next sprint coming up. Got it, and then so a follow-up question to that uh, previous question would be, if the customer doesn't like it, then does it get released? No, <laughs> it never. The, the customer has to actually approve the work, right? We don't release work without customer approval. Okay, great. And then so we have uh, one last question here. When going to Agile from Waterfall, if you have specialists like DBAs uh, who don't write application code, do you expect they will have to learn how to write code? No, we don't expect them to have to write code. Uh, we just expect them to work within the Agile framework. And, you know, besides Scrum, there's another practice called Kanban, um, which is more of a lean approach. And so we normally get them to work within that context. But no, we don't expect them to write code. And, you know, I'm not gonna take a, a, um, a network specialist and turn them into a software engineer. I mean, that's what they do. And we need people to be DBAs and we need people to be, you know, network experts, you know, we need that. So, um, you know, that that's how we, we roll with that. Great, so that's it for the questions on this end. All right, well, uh, let me just, I'll just say thank you to Tess for being here today. Thanks for giving your time for doing this. Um, thank you also, I had fun. Awesome. So we're going to walk through um, just some basic 
information. So nalsha.org, um, we have uh, basically we're more about leadership, agility, training. Um, we help organization, you know, really do assessment and strategy coaching and, and really help people to move forward in their journey with, with the agile experience and building software better. Um, just released um, the latest set of cards called Agility Leadership. This is um, number three, uh, volume number three. Uh, we have some few new games around that. If you go to agilityleadership.com, um, you can go and order those cards as well. Uh, my current book is called Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way. Um, you can get that um, on Amazon. And, and also, you know, I'll let you guys know that um, my other book is coming out maybe in October. It's, it's called um, Elastic Minds, What Are You Thinking? So we'll have a second book coming out in October. And so we'll probably announce that you guys can start pre-ordering if that's something of interest to you, which it should be. <laughs> um, I'm also involved with uh, educational outreach where we teach high school students um, agilities, technology, lean business activities. Um, you know, if you guys really are passionate about our future, um, go to the number five Saturdays.org and you know, donate, you know, um, donate your time, donate your resources, um, you know, to help us continue to uh, build, have much better software engineers, people involved with the STEAM um, environment. Um, I'm also, I do a podcast called I now share with Dr. Dave, which is on iTunes and on Google Play. But you could also just go out to grokshare.com if you grok it and, um, you know, listen to some of the podcasts there for free. Um, reach out to Nalshare. You can go to www.nalshare.org. Um, you can send an email to customer care at nalshare.org or just tweet with us at Nalshare and go to, uh, you can blog with us as well. And so next month is. Um, the final webinar for, in, in this Agile series, and it's called Test First, Then Code. And we'll introduce you to a technique of how we uh, perform analysis before writing software and how we build quality in. Um, so that would be the final um, Agile webinar for 2017. And in 2018, we hope to come back with to talk more about leadership um, and agility. So again, Tess, did you have a good time? Any any uh, parting words you want for our audience before you take off? Oh, the test first is really exciting. Look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll participate <laughs> next month again. Yes. <laughs> okay. Alexa? Great. And that's all we have for you today. Uh, we'd like to thank our presenter, uh, Dr. Dave and Tess, for a great session, and of course, our audience for your time. We hope to have you on board for our next webinar. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day. Look for the Nalshare with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Nalshare with Dr. Dave podcast is hosted on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at drdaveinfo or at nalshare. This podcast and interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2017, Nalshare. Nalshare with Dr. Dave. Nalshare.